when you're starting out, they're not hiring you because you're an amazing artist and you're gonna create something beautiful. They've, they've got a problem they need to solve. Hi. Hello. 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 Hello, and welcome to Architecting. Hi, welcome to Architecting. I'm Rebecca Wagner here with the host, Adam Wagner. Hey, Adam, who's on the podcast today? Hey, so today we have another partnership. So we have two guys who founded this firm together with two very different uh, backgrounds and approaches to getting into architecture. We have one who uh, went directly to architecture and then worked a long time and then went to grad school for architecture. And then another who collected a lot of different degrees and went to a lot of different industries and then found his way to architecture and then they found their way to each other. Fun. So these guys are, drumroll, <laughs> that was a very effective drumroll. We have Chris Gray and Stephen Purse uh, from Building Collective today. And uh, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of fun with these guys. Um, just two, two architects who have been running their firm for a number of years now and, and building up this practice and just really working um, to be professionally good architects and then good architects from a design side as well, uh, serving the client and, and serving architecture and, and design. And I think doing it pretty successfully. Um, so, yep, we get into that. We get into, they give a lot of advice on just how to run a business and, and, uh, stories and all that other stuff that you, that you love. Yeah. I love it. Excited for this one. Yeah, it's good. Cool. Enjoy. Hey, we're happy to be sponsored by Modern in Denver Magazine. For over a decade, they've been crafting fantastically curated content on Colorado designers and projects, spreading the gospel of good design within our region. And I love how the goal of Modern in Denver aligns with the goal of this podcast, to better build up and connect the community of Colorado designers. So go buy a copy of the magazine at your local bookstand, subscribe to their weekly email list, and follow them on Instagram. Check it out. And you've got a business partner too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, he lives in uh, Connecticut. Okay. Um, yeah. So is your most of your work in Colorado, or is it... Out there, um, kind of varies per week. I, I think right now we're okay. kind of we've got a little more like East Coast stuff. Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean we have we've got a house under construction in Gypsum and a pool house in Kansas under construction, and then we have we've got a little New York City condo renovation going, and a uh, Connecticut house renovation. What else do we have? It's like a bunch of little stuff, you know. <laughs> You don't know anymore. You're 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 probably past that stage, but uh not really. <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. We yeah. get wrangled into some things we probably shouldn't. Yeah. But, uh, Still happens. Doing a favor for someone, you know, here or there or you know, it, it sometimes it's hard to say no to some things. Yeah. Yeah. There's always extraneous circumstances <laughs> that surround that. Sorry about all that. Hey, no problem. No worries. 
we just we just finished up the podcast. Oh, Thanks fantastic. for joining. In, uh, no. <laughs> where where are you at today, Steve? Uh, working from home. Oh, nice. Yeah, we both live in Bolt, South Boulder, so we're we're both home today. Yeah. You guys, you guys like uh, share a duplex or something, and each work from home and <laughs> knock on the walls and. <laughs> no, he's half a mile down the street, so I just yeah. yell out the window. Yeah. yeah, need a little more space. Yeah, before before you logged on, Steve, uh, we were talking about my partner who's in Connecticut, you know, and so I think in the last I don't know year, I've I've seen him once, twice in person, you know. Yeah, it's a it's a different different thing, but you know we're four times a day on video calls to check together and uh, yeah, and yeah, we're still we're still navigating some of the technical issues of everyone working remotely but um, getting through it. So yeah. it's just more money to Autodesk to make it all happen. So. <laughs> yeah. That been 360. Yeah. This is when you know you're on like a real architect podcast where the first thing you talk about is BIM 360. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all about sharing information. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, yeah, thanks for joining guys. Uh, yeah. It's good to Absolutely. have you on here. Well, we got, we got a little chit chat over now let's get into the real stuff here this this really good question of who are you so i don't know always how to ask this to to two people so you can either answer it as who are you as a as a team together or individually who are you each oh boy um yeah chris how do we want to tackle that one so personal level or business level i guess that's the first question (laughs) i think that you know as an entity building collective, we're about 12 years old now. And uh, we were born out of a meeting Steve and I had at UCD at their architecture um, department. And we were both pursuing our master's degree. And um, we met then and had some personal and I think business kind of philosophies that seemed to mesh well and we both went off and we're doing our own work steve was working for himself and i was working for another architect and we kind of hatched this plan that at some point in the future it would be great to join forces and kind of implement some of the ideas that we had as far as how you can run and operate a successful architecture firm and um so we decided to do that in 2009 during a really horrible um, economic time. <laughs> so we start at the bottom. And- yeah, right. I mean, clearly there was a lot of opportunity, not from a project standpoint, but from a time and availability standpoint. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so that was kind of the the birth of Bowling Collective and kind of a really hard economic time, especially for the world of architecture and construction. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the, I mean, some of the principles that we, Chris and I spoke about um, in terms of like what, what we wanted to do a little different is, you know, I had worked for, uh, it took eight years off in between my undergrad and um, grad school. So I got my undergrad in Boulder and environmental design and um, I'd kind of worked in a bunch of different firms here and there off and on over those eight years. But, um, we really wanted to 
find a way to bring together not just creative design solutions, but also kind of the high level of professional service. Um, and certainly some of my experiences in my internship, there was, it was more heavily, the work was more heavily weighted on the creative and less on the professional service. And there were some frustrating parts about that. And we, Chris and I talked about like, well, you know, the professional service side of architecture, which is kind of like being responsible to your client is really about just understanding what some of the limits might be, which are just more design inputs and like not forgetting them. <laughs> um, so that kind of was this idea of, and also about like authorship, you know, by calling ourselves, by not calling ourselves, say, the gray purse architecture firm or the purse gray architecture firm, it's building collective in the sense that we all work together as a team and it's not necessarily about a singular person's idea or vision um, in terms of helping create something. Yeah. Well, I think you guys, you guys won the, the award for the longest, who, who am I uh, statement and you kind of <laughs> just stole the rest of the thunder for your whole story here, but so let, let's, no, let's we, start. We've told the story a few times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, let's, let's mix it up a little bit. Uh, yeah. So, well, okay. So Steve, where, where'd you come from? What, what's your, what's your kind of background? Yeah. So I, I grew up in Northern California, um, hmm. Bay area and came out to Boulder, um, like a lot of people just to kind of play in the outdoors and have fun hmm. and um, can't spell, can't write very well. So <laughs> staying up all night building models sound like a really awesome way to get through undergrad. Yeah, um, I love that. Yeah. You know? Same here. Yeah. So uh, kind of jumped into environmental design and absolutely loved it and um, uh, worked uh, just after school, started working in a local firm here in Boulder for a couple of years and then, um, yeah. So that was kind of where, where it all started. But there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of professions where you don't have to write or, or spell. What, what was it about architecture? Um, I mean, honestly, like I didn't even know what, and when they said it's environmental design, I didn't even know what the hell that was because yeah. we don't call it architecture because of just the technical reasons behind it. So yeah. they kept calling it environmental design. And it wasn't until like after year one, I realized, Oh, actually, this is actually an architecture project. Um, <laughs> And I had growing up. That's the fine print in the, yeah. in the you know, course catalog. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. It's like, it's like a slow immersion. Yeah. Or uh, putting, yeah. Putting, putting the bag over your head and pulling you into the van and you don't know until you're, you're, you're down the road that you're in architecture. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I mean, I think there was, there was always growing up, I was always doing a lot of creative stuff in school. And of course, there was always the, the teacher, the neighbor that was like, oh, you should do architecture. And that was always kind of thrown out there. Um, hmm. And, and yeah, and kind of like applying for schools and stuff. I mean, I, I vaguely remember looking at a couple other schools and being like, no, nah, I really just want to go to Colorado. Hmm. <laughs> so you so, did, you did go to Boulder for CU or yeah. you just randomly went to Boulder and oh, then no. you, you were like, here's a school and. No, I, I came out here to go to school. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So. And Chris, how about you? Where are you, where are you from? Um, I grew up in Ohio mm. and um, did my undergrad at Northwestern, mm. you know, north of Chicago, and got an in, uh, engineering degree in material science and mm. engineering. And, you know, I honestly think that was one of the first times where architecture interested me because of hearing about really interesting material engineering applications for buildings. Mm. 
And so it was kind of an interesting early crossover because I sort of put that on the shelf for a while, worked as an engineer in California for a while, and then actually moved to Boulder to go to um, business school, to go to the MBA program hmm. in, um, in, in Boulder. So I did that. I started a software company with some friends. Um, you know, was sort of in on the first wave of the Boulder tech boom, I guess, in like 1999, mm-hmm. where two two years later, the the companies, half of which we were learning about, were gone. <laughs> so it was kind of an interesting time, but but the entrepreneurship part of the business school was part that was really interesting to me. And um, so I then sort of had a career shift to architecture and went back to grad school for that. And I think growing up as a kid whose dad always had his own business and being around a family business, I guess I was always thinking that I would be an entrepreneur in some capacity. I just didn't think I'd really found what I wanted to do with that. And Mm. so that's kind of where architecture came in. And, um, and I think that was a real kind of pairing of all of those backgrounds a little bit Mm. was, you know, some of the engineering problem solving stuff that I learned way back when and the business background and then architecture on top of that. So I've done a lot of school, but it's definitely finally all kind of come um together <laughs> so you so you so you sold your software co- firm for millions of dollars and then you could afford to start an architecture firm is that what you're saying <laughs> you, um, <laughs> that was the that was the dream <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> interestingly our company really early on was within the wireless networking space hmm. and it's interesting now to see that because then we were just way ahead of our time <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately yeah didn't cash in on it because of that but huh. um some of my friends that i started the business with they're still working in that industry which is kind of interesting hmm. um so they continued on the tech world wasn't really where it was at for me and um so i moved on hmm. tell me a little bit about material science I'm i'm interested in that kind of degree and in what that first job was and what what's your what were you doing within that, you know? Yeah, I mean, the, the degree itself is a lot of material design. So whether it be steel or plastics or ceramics, it's a lot of the design of materials. So the real interesting thing for me was that, you know, the big shift from designing things based on materials that you already have versus designing the materials so then you could build whatever you wanted from it. Hmm. And that was something that was interesting to me. And my first job was actually in a company that made plasma chambers that treated plastics and whatnot for manufacturing. Hmm. So car bumpers and medical supplies and a bunch of things that you would never think of. Um, Teflon for big satellites, you know, they were all being um, treated chemically by gas plasma. Hmm. So it was a really interesting, a really interesting application of engineering, which is one thing I really liked about it. Um, 
And, you know, just even learning early on, professors that I had at Northwestern were like studying recycled concrete and recycled content and concrete and things like that, you know, which is something not a lot of people were looking at 30 years ago. Um, So that just all piqued my interest a little bit in, in what that world could be. Yeah. That's interesting. It's such a broad, a broad field. You know, when you say materials, it's, it's sort of anything. And then, and so, yeah, in general, your, your background was so broad and, and Steve, so you were, you went to the environmental design at Boulder yeah, and then you graduated from there. Then did you go directly into grad school? No. So I, I had about eight years off between the two. Oh, wow. so, um, I got a job at a local small architecture firm here in Boulder, like building models. Um, hmm. Who's that? Models. What firm is it? Uh, Arc 11. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Back when e- there was only about four of us. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. He, uh, I just interviewed EJ. He's, he's going to be on right before you guys. So ah, cool. There you go. Yeah. So yeah, I started working with EJ and James and, um, did that for almost two years. And um, I didn't really, there was no break in between kind of the undergrad and grad and working. And that was always kind of like the real world shock, right? It's like all of a sudden you find yourself in a job and you're like, wait a second, there's, there's no spring break. There's no Christmas break. And so, uh, amazing experience working there, but I, I never felt like I also never got like the, the, the mountain fix. And so uh. Um, I decided to leave there and move up to Jackson, Wyoming hmm. and um, did the ski bum thing. So I got a job at a ski shop and rented a, you know, walk-in closet for a season or two um, and kind of bounced between the ski shop in the winter. And then I interned at an architecture firm in the summertime up there. And um, what firm was that? Uh, no longer around. Um I, I can't even recall the name of it. The the woman that was one of the partners, she's still up there. Um, I can't remember the name right now, though. It's kind of a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because I, I saw you on your LinkedIn. It's You worked for Adinia, and I didn't know if you'd met yeah. him up there. But I did. Yeah. So a friend of mine um, that uh, I worked together in the summertime up there, he ended up working for Dinia. And um, when I moved back to Boulder in 2001, they had a local residential project here that they needed someone to kind of help shepherd through the process and do the drawings for. And so I, um, I was kind of their boots on the ground and did all the construction drawings and detailings and all that kind of stuff. for hmm. um, Well, sorry, I made you s- switch that story there, but, but what, what shocked you out of being a ski bum? What, what forced that? Oh, so uh, it was like springtime and, um, I didn't know, what I snow to melted you had to leave older and just like hang out and see some friends for a couple of weeks before i go back to jackson and i came down and had this kind of crazy three days where i stopped in at arc 11 to say hi to everybody and they were like oh my god are you moving back and i was like i don't know i'm kind of the ski bum guy and they're like well <laughs> you know our friend kimball really needs to hire someone he's got some great projects and it was kimball hobbs who's now mm. works at um, arc 11 and I was like, maybe. So I talked to Kimball and he's like, yeah, can you start tomorrow? And I was like, hey, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. And then that night I met up with a friend who had, from Jackson who had moved to Boulder. And he was like, I can't hang in Boulder. I'm moving back to Jackson. Do you want my place? And I was like, well, where is it? He's like, well, it's fourth in Arapahoe, right next to the creek in the park. I was like, well, that sounds pretty good. Um, so I got a job offer, got a place to live. And then 
The next day, I went to a party for a friend of mine's uh, husband who had just finished his PhD. And um, at that party, I, I, I met my wife. So yeah. <laughs> you're like, okay, okay, I get it. I'll stay. Come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <So smart arm. laughs> yeah really. Uh, yeah. That's like six stars aligning. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, okay. So, so, so you, you came back, uh, you were working for Hobbs and uh, then what made you go, want to go to grad school? Well, I mean, at the time, you know, there was kind of at that time in the profession, there was definitely this kind of ceiling that you would hit. Like I had an un- non-professional architectural degree. And even though I thought I was doing pretty good and like had good experience at kind of design oriented firms, um, a lot of the people running those firms were like, well, you have to have a master's degree. Otherwise, we're not going to pay anymore and you're not going to be a project architect and this, that and the other. And um, I heard it a number of times and I got kind of frustrated by it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But then it's like, okay, well, you know, there was also, you know, 9-11 happened and like the economy went down. And so I bounced out of architecture and did taught myself GIS and did GIS work for a while because there was no architecture work. Mm -hmm. Um, And then started helping out other architects that I knew from Arc 11 back in the day that went on the round. So I kind of ebbed and flowed a little bit. And just got to a place where I was like, yeah, you know, I think this grad school thing could be really fun and could be really worthwhile. And um, that's when I decided to, yeah, just kind of go into it. So was it, did you look at other places or was it, okay, I want to stay here? Well, at the time, you know, by that point, um, my girlfriend and fiance, now wife, um, had just, she had just come out of vet school. And so she was kind of starting her profession. and we were kind of talking about what do we want to do. And I wasn't about to be like, Hey babe, let's move to Boston. Let's, you know, and like upend everything. So it was certainly a lifestyle kind of position that staying here also allowed me to work kind of all through grad school. And so I knew I could um, work through grad school, pay for grad school and not come out of school without any debt and still have this kind of lifestyle to it. Nice. And Chris, what about you? So you, you were, doing um business school and then how soon until you went into architecture it went went to grad school yeah um i had probably a couple years between business school and architecture school um during which i was kind of doing an entrepreneurial thing with people that i met in business school and, um, you know, I was kind of in the same boat, I guess, in some respects, like grad school was only a couple of years and I hadn't had enough boulder by that time. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really think that I would up and move again, um, really soon. And so, you know, I didn't do like an extensive search for grad school for architecture. Um, it was a little bit of a leap of faith for me, to be honest, yeah. I think, um, I knew that what I was doing wasn't totally fulfilling for me. Um, I knew that I wanted to find something that I had more of a connection to for the long term. And so I put, you know, a lot of things together and kind of came up with, with architecture. So I think my intuition was, was right, but it was definitely a little bit of a leap. Yeah. 
what what were the things that re- that really uh surprised you about architecture school or or the things that maybe uh let you down or or, or you didn't expect well i feel like the hardest thing for me was just the open endedness of a lot of it mm. because of the way i had gone through school up till that point you know engineering school is formulaic and there's some creativity but you know it's within very strict bounds and you know just being in the first studio i was in a completely different world that i just didn't feel comfortable with at all um and it was always interesting to me that the people who had like backgrounds in art or other you know non-architecture Uh, professions but they just had a much better capability of like navigating that kind of world and so that was one of the biggest things that was a learning curve for me was you know understanding this whole other universe of like the create the creative process and that whole thing um was it something you took to pretty quickly, you know, or towards the end of school or no, you became a different architect? Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I was, I wasn't terribly balanced at the time. And so I was probably spending way, way, way too much time in the studio and on things that I, that I should have. I think Steve, I always was, you know, a little bit, not jealous, but, I was always impressed by his ability to kind of do it and put it away and be done with it. <laughs> and I think from probably his experience allowed him to do that, where I was just kind of all in and drowning half the time, most of the time. Um, so my discipline was not really that great. Um, and I spent a lot of hours in the studio because of it. <laughs> yeah. So were you guys in there at the same time? Did you start at the same time at grad school no, and knew were, each other? I came in with advanced standings. And yeah. So I forget. Did you, Chris, we didn't graduate at the same time, did we? I don't remember. Uh, I think you were maybe a semester early, but we definitely had an overlap of about a year, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting, yeah, Steve, with like your amount of experience and four years of undergrad and like eight years of working and Chris, like your whole different experience. It's such a, that grad school is such a melting pot of of different backgrounds and skill sets and personalities and ages. And it's a really interesting, interesting thing. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I feel so for everybody who has been going through that remotely. Oh, you know, like we have an employee that has gone through that process remotely and she just never gained the connect the, the connections, you know, the the time with everybody that we did. Yeah. Um, and you know, we have multiple friends out of that that we still talk to and obviously yeah. a business relationship that grew out of that. And I would have been even more lost if I had been going through that whole thing in isolation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was teaching a, a grad studio last semester and it was, 
kind of their first semester back in person and they'd had two semesters remotely and a lot of them had only had that. And it was like kind of yeah. watching people climb out of a cave where you'd be like, no, go, <laughs> go talk to that person. Go ask them how they did that drawing. Go, you can do it. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. Uh, um, but yeah. So, uh, so you said, what, what was it? You said there was like kind of a, a spark or something that brought you guys together and, uh, and, and, made the firm what yeah. what was that like what 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 kind of made you guys gravitate towards each other i don't know i mean i think it's i mean i think part of it was i was looking for someone to partner with that wanted to really run a business hmm. not be another kind of the hyper creative i just want to design 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 and i think in our conversations I saw that Chris had this design background, but he also was really focused on like, yeah, I really want to run a business. Um, and that really appealed to me. Um, because there was, there was a lot of people I connected with in grad school that are these amazing creative people. And having worked in the profession, I was like, I, I can't go into business with that person. <laughs> yeah. 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 Love the energy. Don't want to deal with that. <laughs> it's kind of like putting a band together, you know? I mean, you can jam all you want, but if you really want to make the band go, you got to all show up at the same time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think, you know, we both live in, in Boulder. We were down in Denver in grad school. Um, you know, we just had pers similar personalities, I think. So I think there was kind of a number of things that were um, a good crossover, but I think we were also different in a way where we were think complemented each other a bit. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't want to go into business with myself um, for yeah. a number of reasons. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, you've, if you can find that person that you have a good relationship with, but have complementary skills, you know, that I think was something that appealed to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Chris, we were talking a little bit before about, about my partner and, and we'd never worked together before. And we were kind of brought together by a third partner who then kind of left. And now, now it was like left with the two guys. And, and, you know, we, we, we kind of came together because we thought we were so similar, but then you start being partners and you're like, maybe we shouldn't be so similar. You know, you, you kind of want to partner with that person that, that is good at the thing you're bad at. And, uh, and it, yeah. yeah, it takes a little bit to figure out kind of who's the best at something or how to go forward or go back. And it's a, it's a learning process. Huh? I mean, constant. Yeah. constant. <laughs> well, we, we, when we started out, we kind of had a, a collective brain, I guess, maybe that, you know, we, we tried to make, a lot of the decisions together mm. um, in a way where once we started to grow, we realized it really wasn't sustainable. Mm. And I don't think it also was really using, utilizing our, both of us to the, to the greatest extent. So we were trying to be cognizant of making decisions together as for the business. But I think eventually we learned that we needed to go a little bit away from that because there were more decisions that needed to be made mm. and that we really kind of needed both of our opinions and outlooks, um, right. you know, rather than like, you know, putting our heads together all the time. Yeah. Kind of, is it, is it 
finding your own lanes is that a good analogy you know like is it is it you're responsible for one thing chris or kind of one set of tasks and you you the other steve or is it is it more of um you know per project you're doing the same things but it's like separate separate projects in a way there's kind of two components right i mean there's like there's running projects and then there's running the business Mm -hmm. and I think as we were kept growing, there was this kind of natural polarization that happened um, where one of us was tending to business elements, one of us was tending to project elements, but as business got more um, busy, you know, the weight of those two weren't necessarily the same. And we really had to Mm -hmm. figure out, wait a second, how do I'm feeling disconnected from running the business. Chris was feeling disconnected from projects. How do we begin to make sure that, I understand how the business runs. It's not just not doing the creative component and Chris needs to work on creative things. He can't just run the business. And so we really had to work on the last couple of years of just figuring out how to kind of rebalance the equation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been really good because I've really enjoyed actually diving into the, the kind of minutia of the business side of things, meaning like understanding just how many people were working on how many projects do we have the fee? How long can that fee last for? When should that project finish up? What comes next? Um, all of those sorts of things. Yeah. So. so it's interesting where you kind of like created almost two lanes, but then it got two separate and you're, yeah. so then how do you, how are you able to kind of bring those back together and get both of you integrated into both sides? Well, I mean, part of it is just the sheer number of projects. Um, you know, it's, there's too many for one person to completely tackle as mm-hmm. even just manage. So Chris and I, I mean, I think you've got five or six that you're managing. I'm managing five or six. Um, you know, we're, I'm doing the initial invoicing and timesheet component and pushing it over to QuickBooks. Chris is then taking that and looking at all of the reimbursables and adding that and then sending out invoices. So there's this greater pollinization in terms of just who's working on what Mm. types of stuff. Mm. Um, Yeah. But I think it also has made our management of the business stronger because it allows us both to see, you know, what hours are being worked on what and who's working on what. And since now we're kind of both looking at it from different perspectives, I think it's helpful in managing our, employees and yeah being more efficient at just the operational side of the business which is something that we've really um, worked on in the last year or two realizing that the more employees we have the more resources we need to personally put towards them mm. yeah. um, training and managing and that kind of thing so you know that's where our lanes have kind of merged a bit is in the operations side of things and professional development and training of our employees. You know, that was something we didn't really have before. Um, but now is a big part of running the business. Yeah. That's interesting. So that's, so this is 12 years in let's step back. I always love like that, like month one, month two. So what, what was it like when you started, when you put the shingle up, you got the first call. How, how did the how did the company come together, and what was the first project? Boy, um, well, I think Steve, you had um, the Mapleton residence underway or starting. So, yeah. 
Steve, I believe, had a project that he had with his own shingle out um, that then kind of got translated into our project at the tail end, if I remember right. Yeah. Um, I think it was, I mean, I think we got our first project through that same contractor. Yeah. So, yeah, so I was doing a, a remodel project for a friend from undergrad. Um, really extensive one here in town and got to know this contractor pretty well. And he then had a client who he was building a house for. And um, he came to us and said, you know, I think this, these clients are really great is Alan and Patty. And they were, he was like, you know, he's got, they, have, they hired a friend who is an architect to design this house, but it just doesn't seem like it's really what they want. Do you guys want to look at it? And we looked at it and we were like, yeah, that's, that's terrible. <laughs> we, we met the client and I think we said, will you give us a chance to redesign this for you? Hmm. And we said, like, give us like three days. And if you like it, let's keep talking. And if you don't, like, you can go on your way. And um, the architect he hired, the, the, the client was a, um, a wastewater engineer and he had hired a friend who's an architect, but the friend had only designed wastewater treatment plants. Uh -huh. And so he really designed his own house. He didn't really design their house. Huh. Um, and so we based, Chris and I kind of really sat down for like three intense days and kind of just redesigned the house and represented it. And they were like, oh my God, that's definitely what we want. And we're like, <laughs> <"That's our> project. <laughs> we're, you're like, yeah, we're, we're definitely a company. Yeah, we'll, we can do this. Uh. <laughs> well, another kind of layer to that story too, Steve, is remember we were asked to do energy rating. Oh, right. For the project. So one thing that we did early on is just early, early on, we knew that energy efficiency was going to be a huge deal in the city and county of Boulder. Hmm. And so I got an energy rating license. And so we could do that as part of our business. And this contractor that we had met, you know, knew that we were offering this service. So he eventually, you know, it was partly we were architects, but partly he needed this energy modeling service done. And so, you know, to me, that's always a good, it was always a good lesson of, you know, don't say no right away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> See what might be able to happen because right. it was, that was kind of our foot in the door. Right. And then we got into the design and like Steve was saying, it was clearly a mismatch. Um, and, you know, so that was just uh, kind of setting ourselves up with being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And then when did the second project come? I feel like there's always like a good story about the first project, but then a lot of times the phone just doesn't ring for the second one for a while. Kind of, yeah. And, yeah, because I don't know if I even remember what the second project was. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> Probably like a deck in like, I don't know, trellis edition off the back of townhome somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. We did a, some kitchen remodels. Um, yeah. You know, we definitely did this, that, or the other, but I feel like it was a good relationship with the first couple contractors we worked with that got us the next couple jobs. Mm. Yeah. Um, that was probably our best networking, I think early was contractor connections seems like if i recall hmm. yeah um, certainly. 
And then from there, it kind of grew slowly. Um, but, uh, you know, we were working out of our homes for the first couple of years yeah. and got a small office downtown eventually and were crammed in with an intern into a large closet-sized <laughs> office. And, you know, that's when it felt like we had we were sort of legit. Yeah. We kind of had a real space and, you know, bought our first computers and that kind of thing. Yeah, you started off uh, in front of the curve again, like uh, pre-pandemic, working from home. Uh, and then... <laughs> homemade desks, and, yeah, yeah, homemade desks, the whole thing. Nice. Yeah. You had you had a, a the tin can and a string between your two houses and <laughs> calling up. Uh, so so when um so how many how many employees do you have right now? How how large is the firm? Boy, um. There's seven total, seven total. Um, soon to be eight next month. Yeah. Um, that includes Steve and myself. Nice. Ha- um, has that been pretty consistent, like, uh, you know, for the last eight years or something? Or No. I mean, I think we've we've grown quite a bit in the last just like two years. Hmm. Um, so we've always had about three or four, like four people total. Um, and it probably wasn't for the last year and a half now that things have really kind of phone keeps ringing the projects seem to be better and so we always seem to can't say no <laughs> uh, yeah we we grew quite a bit during the pandemic yeah. oddly enough hmm. yeah um and it was one of those things that just you know the, we were lucky that most of the jobs we had going continued and people continued to move here at higher and higher rates and you know, we had a pretty good system set up, and so it was good, good timing from that standpoint. But um, I think, I mean, something that I think has been interesting though is, you know, pre-pandemic, we were, I think Chris and I both were very adamant about, like, no, we want the studio environment in the office, studio environment in the office, and you know, when the the full lockdown happened, we all everyone went remote. You realize, like, well, actually, going remote's pretty there's some really good benefits to it. And one of them specifically is that we um, have access to so many great employees now, whereas before, you know, it used to be the Boulder was the place everyone wanted to live. And then Boulder became a really killer city and nobody can afford to live in Boulder. And then like all of our employees don't live in Boulder Mm -hmm. and the commute everyone knows can be really brutal. And so then once we realized, well, actually, you know, working remote is kind of, I want to say it's here to, it's kind of here to stay and being more flexible on kind of how much time people do spend in the office or making sure they can still access projects and meet the clients. Um, I think it's made us, our ability to hire better people much, much easier. And to keep them for longer, hopefully too, you know, cause that was a, a problem that, you know, people would, live in Boulder for a while, then they move to Denver and they do the commute for a while and then they burn out on that and you know they could find another job in Denver. Um so I think it's been a real benefit, like Steve said. Um it's really opened our talent pool up yeah. quite a bit, I would say. Yeah, interesting. So let's talk about your work a little bit. Um you know, it's, it was interesting talking to EJ, you know, he's one of those architects who, who had his, had a philosophy degree first. So, you know, we had some nice heady conversations about sort of uh, concepts and ideas of architecture. Uh, 
were you able to kind of develop uh, your sense of an idea of architecture in school and then what 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 happened when it when you merged together and then are you able to kind of project one now if you, if you know how to answer a question like that <laughs> um, I'm still working on it yeah, yeah. yeah. still working on it I mean <laughs> yeah I agree I mean I think I think architecture will always have an ability to allow people to connect better to their environment um, and their and the things around them and um and I think there's also ability to create new things, um, so to create new environments for people and that sort of thing. Um, but how that manifests itself, I think, can vary radically from person to person and client to client and place to place. Um, so I wouldn't say that we have a singular um, architectural like agenda <laughs> um, as much as it's very much, I think the work we do is contemporary, but so much of it is depends upon not only create what I think Chris and I call good spaces, but making sure it also reflects the values of the client. Um, yeah. Chris, did you just like fax him an answer there or something? It sounded like we printed oh, out, printed out an I, answer and <laughs> it was like, I sent him our cue card number 13B. But... <laughs> it was this, it was this deep response and we just going to have printer noise going over it. Uh, no, that's good. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, I look at, I look at your work and you know, it's just, it's some fantastic, like really, really clean, uh, uh, bright i think like well detailed well defined sp spaces um and you know i could see you know steve with some of your background with you know dinia and with arc 11 you know picking up some things there um um we can edit out this long pause where I forgot what my question was. Uh, <laughs> need a cue card? Yeah, I need my case. Yeah. Chris, can you fax me over one of those uh, questions? Uh, no, but I think... Let me ask my secretary. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I mean, uh, yeah, like, it, it seems like you're definitely developing more um, a, you know, a sense of your architecture. And, you know, it's, it's mostly within... Uh, residential projects and mostly in around boulder right uh, is that the kind of work and the the kind of vector that you want to be continuing in it is yeah we've expanded a bit um you know we now have a couple projects in fort collins we have a project in golden we're just starting a project in evergreen a project in colorado springs so we've Definitely, we have a project in Breckenridge and Fairplay. So over the last couple of years, we've tried to expand a bit outside of Boulder in the city and county um, for various reasons. But, you know, predominantly we're all Colorado still. Um, but, you know, the, the timeline around developing projects in Boulder and Boulder County can be extensive. And doing some other areas that, you know, aren't so burdensome in that category, I guess, is one of the reasons why we wanted to explore other things. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think one thing, I mean, back to kind of like our portfolio of work, I mean, I think one thing that Chris and I um, 
kind of, I want to say it, it becomes like what, when you ask like that question of like, what's the defining kind of component of our architecture? And I think it, it really is kind of the, diver the diversity of kind of the types or maybe even styles of projects that we work on. Meaning that I think all of our projects are contemporary. Like no one asks, we don't do Georgian revival or mm -hmm. anything like that. But we also don't stay in the lane of like, oh, we're modernists and you better have a flat roof. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I think something that has appealed really well to a lot of our clients is they look at our portfolio and they say, well, how come all the projects look different? And we tell them because it's a reflection of who the client is. It's not us, meaning that we design to your values, not necessarily what we think we would do personally. Mm -hmm. And we really become the guide for them um, to through the creative process to generate something that's new, but it isn't necessarily like a reflection of Chris and our own personal agenda or style. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's worked out really well and it makes, it means every project is new and there's always opportunity to be like, well, we didn't quite get that detail in the last one. Maybe we can get it in this one. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we always kind of put kind of what the clients, you kind of like dig into what the client's asking for mm -hmm. and, generate kind of the design from that yeah so what does that look like do you what 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 besides the sort of availability of different employees maybe uh, what's the thing that gets you excited about looking into the future one year five year ten year do you know where you're headed um I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how far a roadmap we've, we've laid out goes. <laughs> I mean, I think um, as a business, I think Chris and I have done a pretty good job of kind of giving ourselves the skeletal framework to expand really more easily, um, which I think has been great. Just like the back of house stuff, um, but I think we don't want to grow so big that we can't be involved in the projects as much as we want. I think we both really enjoy interacting with clients and being part of the kind of design process and part of the problem solving. Um, whereas I think if we expand too much, then it becomes more of just how do you feed the beast and keep it going and less about kind of maybe that day-to-day -day creative problem solving. Yeah. So, um, I don't think we see ourselves going beyond 10 people. I don't know, that seems daunting. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, the, the ability for Steve and I to oversee every project is appealing for me and also very appealing, I think, for our clients. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, we're the first interactions they have. Um, you know, we kind of do the selling and they really like the fact that we're going to be there kind of throughout the whole process to the end. Yeah. And that we're not hang, handing off to someone else. So. You know, I'd like to maintain that as, you know, going into the future. And like Steve said, you know, that only means we can deal with so many projects. But, right. you know, maintaining the quality, both in the design and in the professional service, is really important to us. So not watering that down is going to be really important because I think that's kind of what's gotten us to where we are now. Yeah. You know, really creating strong relationships with our clients um, and, you know, that's really been the driving force, I think, of a lot of, you know, good, good referrals and, you know, 
good projects and good relations after the project's over. So, you know, those are some of the things that are, I think, paramount to, to me and to us that growth has to be balanced against. <laughs> yeah. What do you have a day like uh, the best day of your profession? Does does it one day come to mind? It's going to be next Thursday. Next Thursday. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's on the calendar. Best day of my <laughs> best day ever. Next Thursday. Best day What's ever. next Thursday? Still to come. Still to come. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I don't. I mean, for me, it's not that there is a, a particular day that stands out, but there's always these moments and projects that I always find I always look forward to. And it's typically the project's just finished, but the client hasn't moved in yet. Hmm. And there's usually this kind of walkthrough with the contractor and maybe his project manager. And we can kind of hang out in the space, even for like 30 to 40 minutes. And we know the client's moving in the next day, but we can all look around and be like, Dan, we did a good job on this one. And we can kind of let go of the grievances that may have happened over the last year and a half and be like, yeah, we, you know, the clients are super pumped about moving in. They're super happy. We all did a great job. And there's just this really good feeling of like, hey, we really worked together to make this happen. Hmm. Um, you you and the contractors bring your sleeping bags over and stay there that night before they move in. and. <laughs> Not quite well, that. Not not quite. <laughs> it wasn't that good of a relationship. We roast marshmallows <laughs> in the fire pit. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Not quite to that level, but. <laughs> so Chris, what's next Thursday going to look like? What What's that best day going to look like? Oh man, I haven't even looked past that. I was just <laughs> guessing that it was going to be great, but no. I mean, I I I feel like I've been really, um, reflecting a lot on lately just on how the effort we put in during the pandemic on the operations and whatnot has really made us a stronger company. And I feel that, you know, if we can get through some of that BS, then we're going to be in pretty good shape. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I feel like we've navigated and we still got some more navigation to go through because building right now seems to be a challenge yeah um but i feel like we're on solid ground moving forward and that that's a good feeling yeah nice well you know uh you know i've been wanting to meet you guys and chris you came to that live event we were able to meet there and set this up and it's just great to see you know two solid partners doing good work and managing a firm well and um so thanks for Thanks for sharing the story and coming on. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. Cool. See you guys. I'll let you know how next Thursday Yeah, tell me. Yeah, I'll be waiting for it. (laughs) A follow-up. Yep. Cool. Thanks, guys. See ya. Thanks a lot. All right. You can visit architecting.com. That's architect-ing.com to see images from this week's guest. And please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great week and keep connecting. Now, like, I, think, I think Chris and I, and we both feel like the, the profession for a long time, a friend described it in a, a different profession, described it in a way of like, 
it's kind of like the prisoner's breakfast where everyone kind of like has their thing and it's like you try to ask what they're doing and they kind of like stab your hand and like put you away. Yeah. Um, as if like if we told you how we do our marketing somehow that would like you would steal projects from us, which isn't the case. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I wish. I think we really pushed, and we t- I tell all of our employees, like, if you ever want to learn anything about what we're doing from a mm. business standpoint, just ask, and we'll tell you. Mm. Because it's not proprietary. And if one of our employees said, oh, I'm going to go out and start my own business, great. That's awesome. That's just inevitable of the profession. And you're not a threat. <laughs> like, <laughs> we have a 10-year portfolio. You have to. Um, yeah. so we're going to get different clients. And yeah. Everyone can do a better job at the business side of things, even better. So, but I, I think it also helps their understanding of how their work kind of plays into the greater context of either our clients' goals or budget, or our goals and what we want to do as a company. Yeah, because you know, just telling them, well, you need to work less on this project, work more on that project, or you know without some greater context, I think gets lost a little bit. Yeah. So I think we've been encouraging people to kind of dive into more parts of the business or ask questions just so they know why we might be asking something of them. Right. Um, You know, and a lot of times, you know, the more input, the better. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a better way we can do something or more efficient or whatever, you know, that just means more profit for the company. Yeah. So well, there's yeah. there's professional development, and then there's also benefits. I think directly to our company right. and our business. Yeah. Well, it just feels so much better as an employee, right? When you're less of a kind of a tail being wagged and and understand where you're going and yeah, um, yeah. It's got to so be much, yeah. And also, I find myself doing a lot of coaching on just how to better manage client expectations. Hmm. Like, you know, I'm asking you to follow up on this email to this person, CCing the client so they see that we're making this communication happen that will hopefully diffuse any thoughts they might have of us not doing enough work. Mm -hmm. Uh, That kind of stuff. Even to say like, hey, before we're going to send out invoices on the third of the month, we're deep into CDs and we haven't lifted our head up to say hello to the client for a month. And we're going to send them this massive invoice. And they're going to always, it's inevitable that they turn around and go, what is this? What have you been doing? Yeah. So, Hey, before we do this, let's schedule a meeting with the client. We'll show them what we're working on. Tell them how excited we are about it. And next week we'll hit them with the invoice and sure enough, they pay it and life goes on. Yeah. Uh, So, (laughs) yeah. um, that's really interesting. I had the same conversation with with Roland Broughton when they were on here with John and Sarah of like, of like, let's share more stuff amongst the community. And, and we need to tell clients what we're working on during CDs. Uh, <laughs> more transparency. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. Great minds. So what's, yeah. <laughs> what's, what's that? Uh, so if somebody was saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to go leave and start my own firm, what, what would be that advice you'd give them? Or or give me, especially that, that marketing advice you're going to give me. Yeah, <laughs> I would say there's two things. One, never burn a bridge. Mm. So if someone's leaving a firm and they've been there for a year, give them four months advance notice. And if they say, 
to the hell with you get out tomorrow, then you know you made the right choice mm-hmm. um, and you leave. Um, or you say, no, I'm here to make sure I wrap things up. I make sure clients are taken care of and all of that because the architecture community is so small. Mm-hmm. Like you're three people removed from everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, if you go to look for another job, inevitably someone's going to see on LinkedIn and be like, oh, I saw that you worked with such and such but like 10 years ago. How was that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so treat it, I would ask, I would always just tell people to treat it like a community and recognize that. Um, so as for marketing, figure out what you want to do and don't underestimate the search engine optimization. Mm-hmm. It's like voodoo. Yeah. You spend yeah. a lot of money, you don't know what's going to happen, but a year plus later, all of a sudden things start happening. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, when- you know, you just kind of have to stick with it too. Um, sometimes, you know, for for us, you know, it took years of just getting our name out there and people seeing signs on the street in front of projects and maybe we were at a magazine and, you know, eventually they all kind of build up on each other and you just, you know, you get a name recognition that I think helps us. But yeah, it takes time. And it takes some, you know, trying to do some guerrilla marketing too, like, you know, like not advertising, but maybe trying to get, you know, a, this, a story and right. some, you know, 5280 home or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. You know, you got to start somewhere. Right. So, and, you know, that's a place where our audience goes a lot. So, you know, it might not be the most, um, you know, it might not be a, critical architectural you know dialogue but it's where our client base goes Mm -hmm. to you know look at things you're not getting hired by a lot of architects yeah (laughs) no yeah no none yeah (laughs) good yeah good point my wife my wife always says how dumb i am for making a podcast about architects i'm just interviewing my my competition instead of possible (laughs) clients but that's that's who i want to talk to I mean, I think the other advice is like, be patient. Like, architecture is a really slow profession. Like, Hmm. yeah, it takes a year to design something. At this point, if it's a complicated house, it's a year and a half to build it. And then you can't really, if the landscaping's junk, you got to wait another Hmm. nine months to photograph (laughs) it. And like, sweet, I just finished my first house and it took me three plus years. Yeah. So when you think how long it takes to build a portfolio, then to pitch and people to look at and be like, oh, you've done quite a bit of work. I, I want to trust you with this X amount project, like this big project. Um, it just takes a long time to backlog it. Yeah. 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 Some of our best projects aren't on our website yet. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of crazy, but and it's just a year ago. <laughs> yeah. 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 It just takes a long time. Yeah. So the best is yet to come. There you go. That's that's what's Thursday. Are those projects dropping? They're, yes. They're on the, Everything's all on dropping the, yeah. Thursday. <laughs> Tell me about um, the Boulder design community or, or architecture community. You know, I don't I don't make it up there much. What what's your idea? If I say what's your community, what what would that be for you guys? Um. I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't say there's a very strong communities. The word doesn't connect to mm. me. I mean, there's other professionals working. Um, 
we see everyone at like Harvey's event once a year. Um, I don't know. It's it still feels really insular to hmm. me. Does Harvey have a, a party once a year or something? He does his month of modern event. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, and there's always at least one party there that everyone kind of shows up to, I and mean, everyone kind of looks at each other. Are you busy? Yeah, we're busy. Okay. <laughs> and that's about the end of the conversation. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, the den. I mean, what little I plug into the Denver design community, it seems like those folks are see each other more often and maybe network more often than we do up here, which is strange to think about considering we're a much smaller community and think we'd be connected more, but the reality is we're really not um, for whatever reason. The mountains are closer for you guys. That's why. <laughs> I guess. What do, you, what do you think that is? I've had this conversation with a few people, you know, um, is it is it that way everywhere, you know, or is it worse here because we have the mountains and it, it attracts a more of an outdoors kind of person that, that might go do something outside rather than go to a design event or something or have you thought of that? I don't know. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. Good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's, um, I mean, I've been, I mean, having talked to other people, I know like some people that worked in, you know, in LA, there was always seemed to be like a really strong community amongst, you know, a bunch of the firms back in the day, because they all worked in the same neighborhood, be it like Morphosis and Gary and uh, Erico and Moss and all those guys, they all worked within like six, 10 blocks of each other. Mm -hmm. They would always end up the same bar together. Um, and I don't know, it just it never seemed to happen here, like in Boulder. Um, there would always seemed to be this kind of weird competition thing. Mm for a long time um everyone's so busy that i can't imagine the competition's still there but i think there is from like an ego standpoint yeah so, i don't know hmm. i think about it every once in a while and you know it seems like it definitely could be different but um there's certainly not as many avenues to get together right and, networking kind of situations other than kind of creating our own mm -hmm. i guess yeah um and it's been interesting like you know other professions like i think of um jay's caffeinated mornings that he put on uh, so a friend of ours jay farrakane um he does, he's a branding and identity guy um, super creative guy and he created his own kind of um morning once a month get together for the creatives industry meaning like branding advertising uh folks and he would do a kind of talk and uh interview and and this incredible group of people would always show up once a month to all of his talks hmm. it was like why in the hell doesn't this happen in architecture hmm. <laughs> and they would all have like these really great very open honest conversations about the profession and working and how people started and there was zero competition like amongst people in the room. Hmm. And part of me thinks it's, it doesn't happen just by the nature of our schooling, right? It's all about authorship and making sure you're right. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, so I don't, I'm not too sure why it doesn't happen. 
So I think we've always enjoyed going to those events just because it's a great community of creative people that don't talk about architecture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, we enjoy it because of their lack of architecture. Their lack of architecture, yeah. <laughs> it's still talking about design and geek out about it, but it's not architecture. Yeah. And they, they can ask you, oh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm an architect. Ooh, nice. Oh, yeah, they, oh, oh wow. good. You don't know anything about it. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, that is impressive to you. Uh, <laughs> uh, nice. Those folks are always really curious about how the you know, the creative process goes when you layer on things like building codes and all of that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Because they're so in a kind of a digital environment that is really about just what the client wants and what the client can afford, and little beyond that. Yeah. So yeah, so. no consequence. Yeah. What well, is it is interesting where it seems like you know. 10, 15 years ago, it was really hard to get more modern projects built and maybe there's less, uh, there's much less clients that were asking for that. And so there's kind of a more uh, competition to get those clients perhaps, you know, rather than in graphic design or something where it's, it's a lot easier to do the kind of work that you want to do, I would think, um, yeah. you know, but yeah. And now you're saying, you know, it seems like a lot more people are wanting kind of what you guys do or what, arc 11 or, or other people are doing and, and it's a little easier yeah. um no i mean certainly i mean 10 and when we first started like the thought we would get calls to like put in advertising put an ad in i don't know colorado homes and lifestyles and you look at what it would cost to run like a quarter page ad and you're like good god there's no way i'm going to pay that <sighs> what kind of impact is it going to have and and it was kind of like just at the time i was like yeah i can build my own website this looks great and but then you realize that technology has advanced so much that being able to create an identity and the reach you can have online is like colossal, hmm. um, which makes, I think, getting different types of the projects you want easier because no one has to find you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they still do, but it doesn't have to be through like word of mouth and that yeah. kind of stuff. You don't have to go to as many parties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't go to as many parties because you're more busy and you don't have as much time, but you don't need the clients. Right. Well, and during the last couple of years, we've had many more clients that are actually out of town or new to town. Mm -hmm. And I've lived here for 10 years. So, you know, um, they've found us, you know, wherever they've come from, which is all over the country, you know, Boston, Milwaukee, Houston, California, you know, so they're not finding us from local resources, right? I mean, they're often finding us um, online or on an article we've been in or something. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's changed a little bit. Yeah, right. Everything too. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the new website, doing blog posts, doing all that kind of stuff, played a huge role because there you have people were like oh, i don't know where i found you maybe it was instagram maybe it was something else um you know we went from page four of a google search for boulder architect to page one yeah um, and that kind of thing has been tremendous yeah but i think also that plays into that is people are looking for what we're doing partially too because they're coming from other places where Modern contemporary design has been a thing for a lot longer than it has been, you know, in other places mm-hmm. like the East and West Coast, you know, yeah. or, you know, like 
I think people are bringing a little bit of a higher expectation to the design than you know we've had in the past year in Colorado. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's changed the game too. Yeah, that's been huge. Um, that that blog, uh, I was kicking myself because uh, I didn't find your blog until like 15 minutes before this started, and uh, you know I was looking, I was just going through all your projects on your project page, and there's you know there's no information about it, and then I hit the blog, and I'm like, oh, he, he, it's all right here. This is where it is, uh, but I didn't get very far into it. Um, but yeah, that's nice. Is that was that that's a sort of SEO trick? We've got some SEO uh, experts helping us out, and they're like, "You need to write a blog." And I'm like, "Blog?" It was, it's it like part of it. 2010s, but yeah, part. Well, I, I think it's another way to tell your clients who what you're about too. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you know we've been interact we've interacted with some writers who want to do blogs, and the content really was sort of meaningless to me, and I was not interested in it, yeah. but. I am interested in a blog that pulls the curtain back maybe a little bit on the, the, you know, back to that transparency thing. Like, what is it like to work with an architect? You know, most people don't know, Mm -hmm. you know. So I think a blog can be very useful to communicate your message also, you know, and your values. Um, You know, one of our budget, one of our blogs is about budget. Or about should I renovate or should I build new? And so, you know, it's not telling anybody what to do, but it is telling people what things they should maybe consider. Yeah. And that's just trying to educate our client base and give them some tools. Yeah. Put your expertise out there. A lot of it came out of like conversations we were having multiple times with different clients. We're like, we need to write about this. And because we're having this, we're having the same conversation over and over and over again. Um, let's just write a document. I mean, that you could hand out to clients or like, let's just post it on our website. Um, and put it there too. So, yeah. Um, because that's a lot of it, a lot of it comes down to as well, like knowing your type of client, like we do we do a custom residential and then we haven't, we did dabble in restaurants here and there, but our focus has been custom residential. When you think about who your client is, it's like, it's an individual who's probably has never been hired an architect before. Uh, they've never been through a design project before. They're probably making the largest financial investment of their lives. Mm-hmm. And once you recognize like that, that makes up a huge part of who these people are, then you realize how you need to talk to them. And what questions you need to ask. And it's like, when you're starting out, they're not hiring you because you're an amazing artist and you're going to create something beautiful. They've, they've got a problem they need to solve. Mm-hmm. If you start talking about artistry and the philosophy and this, I've been my experience that like, sometimes they'll just be like, I don't know what I'm paying you for. <laughs> yeah. So it's like you find ways to weave it in, but you can't hit them hard with it. Otherwise, they just kind of glaze and go, I don't know what I'm paying you for. I want to help. Um, You're like, I have amazing ideas. Hand over the money. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This is what they told me in school and bring it into me. It's going to be great. (laughs) so beautiful. You're going to love it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I don't want to give that up. I still want to believe that. (laughs) 
Well, I think sometimes we 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 believe it too. I mean, and we just sneak it in sometimes yeah. when you know. It's just when we need to communicate it, mm-hmm. right? Like you can't talk to a client who's never opened an architecture book about phenomenal transparency and you know parallax and this that, and the other. They're going to look at you like, "What the hell are you talking about?" Yeah. But if you talk to them about how light's really important coming to a space or what makes really comfortable space or transitions between spaces, then they can kind of wrap their heads around maybe what you're talking about. Yeah. Kind of like just because it's it's like when you were in grad school and you had your parents are like, so what you work what was your project this semester? Well you're not gonna give them the same presentation that you gave your instructor. You're gonna completely rescript what your project is about to them so they can understand it. It doesn't cheapen or lessen the project just because you chose to speak about it differently. Yeah. Yeah. I always say that to my students where they, they try to, you know, say something really profound and I'm like, okay, how would you tell your grandma that same thing? Like break it down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You got to do it both ways. Right. It's like, well, yeah, we can geek out with our architecture friends about kind of the nuances of it, but you kind of have two different conversations about the same project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe once we get to the point where the portfolio is big enough, we can have those conversations with clients and they'll be like, yes, yeah, that sounds amazing. I have no idea what that is. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. Trust me and sign this check. It's, <laughs> this is art. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Nice, nice meeting you guys and talking with you. Absolutely. Yeah, we appreciate it. This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.